Welcome to The Squeeze, your home for baseball content from opening day to the final out of the World Series. Hosted by Logan Lockhart and Tyler Milliken. Brought to you by Primetime Sports Talk. Yes, that's right. It's The Squeeze, episode three. My name is Logan Lockhart. That right there, my partner in crime, co-host Tyler Milliken. Primetime Sports Talk, all the platforms, audio, video, you can see us. YouTube right now, if you want to hear us, all the platforms where you get your podcasts. Tyler, week three of the squeeze. How are we doing? I'm doing great. You know, it's been a pretty wild couple weeks of a baseball season with some no hitters mixed in, you know, you know, a lot of pitching gems and stuff like that. But it's been a lot of fun. It feels like real baseball. I know we kind of talked about that the last couple weeks. And, you know, I was scared over time. Maybe I'd get numb to the lesser fans and I'd be like, oh, you know, I wish all these fans were back and filling the stadiums. But Baseball still feels great. I'm happy everything's going well for the most part. You know, not every team is that lucky at the moment. But overall, you know, can't complain. Feels good. They have, what, 4,000 people at Fenway around there, and they, and they make noise. They make noise. I was watching yesterday. They make noise at 11 a.m. Right? Like, you know, you can't complain. It, I never thought 4,000 people could be that loud, but I'm telling you, there's moments where it sounds like the entire stadium's packed, and that's all you can ask for. And my favorite play on words of the week, Verdugo, Red Sox. Hell yeah. Listen, I'm telling you, Alex Verdugo, the hype, if it didn't start enough last year, which I, I think the seed started, but now that everyone's keeping track of what the Red Sox are doing, you're looking at the next star in Boston. Yeah, I, I thought so last year. And I thought the return, you know, look, um, when you get a guy like Alex Verdugo for Mookie Betts, that's the kind of player you need in return, right? Hell, he's a culture guy just from the, you know, immediate standpoint. And this isn't even going over the fact he was their best player last year. Uh, when you looked at all around impact, whether, you know, getting on base, you know, he hit above 300, showed a little power with seven home runs, uh, led all of baseball and assists. You know what I mean? It, it was kind of one of those wide things. And, you know, people just immediately want to crap on him and say, you know, he's not Mookie Betts. No, he's not Mookie Betts. But who is? Right. But you're telling me this is a guy who I think is going to compete for batting titles um, and be maybe the all around player people waited and hoped for for years from Andrew Benintendi. I think that's what Alex Verdugo is going to become. Very high on Alex Verdugo, aren't you? And and I'm with you. I'm with you. I I saw it last year. I saw the hit tool last year. So that was enough for me. That was enough for me. And he was already highly touted coming from the Dodgers. Exactly. And, you know, people kind of forget because he had the back injury and everything that slowed his stock. But Listen, he, he's fully healthy. He hasn't had any problems since coming back. You know what I mean? Um, there hasn't even been a slight scare. And if anything, he's been the energetic, you know, piece in that kind of clubhouse that they lacked since Brock Holt left. And, you know, obviously Brock Holt was just a utility player here. But sometimes you need that voice in that clubhouse that gets everyone going, that gets everyone hyped up. And last year, he served as that time and time again. And already this year, despite a slow start, his numbers are right back where you want to see him, you know, hitting 280, uh, three jacks on the season. Pretty great. On a team that's in first place. And yeah. now they get an AL East matchup this week, which I, I'm sure we'll talk about when we do the next episode, how the Red Sox fared against those Toronto Blue Jays. Now, how about the White Sox here with Carlos Rodon? And, you know, look, he, he's come back. He's had kind of a rough ride the last little bit and he's looking locked in to start the season a near perfect game a perfect game we talked about Joe Musgrove and about how hit by pitch oh, isn't that a bad way to kind of ruin a perfect game with Rodon it happened in the ninth inning there you yeah, go it, it was tough you know and it, it was one of those situations I know some people wanted to complain about Roberto Perez 
I, I didn't have that in me. It, you know, it, it was a slider. It came right in at his feet. Um, what are you going to do, right? It, it was a great pitch. You know, a lot of guys we see swing at that pitch, even when it ends up hitting them in the like ankle area like that, or the, you know, back foot slider. Like this legitimately how you try to throw it. Um, great. Such a great performance from Rodon. Now, I don't think it was as, you know, not taking anything away. There was a lot of hard contact, right? You know, I think for people who watch the game, not as much as Joe Musgrove, you know, it wasn't as squared up, but still a great performance a no hitter. Um, and for a guy who, you know, the number 30 overall pick back in 2014 for the arm injuries, he's had all the different problems and effectiveness. And, you know, he was a solid pitcher when he first came up, but unfortunately we saw the velo decrease now pumping upper 90s again looking like the prospects so many like kind of looked for and had hoped for you know when the White Sox first really entered this rebuild and a lot of credit I think people don't talk about is to their pitching coach Eric Katz who you know was with the Giants the year before uh Harvard what or came from the same high school that Giolito uh Max Freed um and Jack Flaherty all kind of pitched at um Harvard Westlake um just incredible story. And I think it's something where he's 14 innings now deep, hasn't given up a run this year. Is he going to be a frontline top of the rotation guy? No, but for a guy who was, you know, looked like his baseball career was really dwindling this off season. It comes back that quickly. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great story either way. Right. And look, when you're that close to a perfect game, was it Jermaine die who saved Mark Burley's perfect game? He is center field. Someone made a cat in center field in 2009 was it Dwayne Wise Dwayne Wise not Jermaine yes yeah Dwayne Wise there it is yeah um, and, and seeing a Brayu make that play in the ninth inning like that I'm going oh of course here are the White Sox it, it just gave me flashbacks to that so that was a fun thing to watch in the moment um yeah Dwayne Wise Dwayne Dwayne Wise Wise, Dwayne Wise yeah that catch and he had remember he got up and then bobbled it as he came down and was able to bring it in it was incredible and I'm not gonna lie when I saw the whole Jose Abreu play at first I got real I was like oh my god you know we're talking AL you know reigning MVP going knee first into a base like that scary but listen when it's a no hitter like that your instincts take over you're not thinking about it um and I I saw that uh Rodon talked about even after the game he was like I couldn't believe that he sacrificed his knees like that and just kind of went into the bag. But that's what's great about a no-hitter or a perfect game. It's it's like you're a little kid again. Nothing matters. There's always one big defensive play in perfect games, and they're like monumental plays. I mean, they, they get shown for years upon years in their own right. Forget the perfect game. That's how amazing and the connection is between those. Seven-inning doubleheaders. Um, how do we feel about them? It's interesting. So I've seen that conversation really go in a couple different ways. I feel like there's really two sides. There's not too many people who are like, it's cool. It's either you love it or you hate it. Right. Um, Which, you know, tends to be the way a lot of people look at these changes in baseball rules. Personally, I'm for it. Seven inning doubleheaders. Listen, when you want to talk about the traditional side of the game and you want every game to be nine innings for record books and stuff like that, that's great. But I think for people who've sat down and watched, you know, back-to-back games, nine innings, and by the time you watch the second game and you're halfway through, the players don't even look like they want to be there. Let's just keep it real. Especially if the first game is a blowout or it's, you know, just a non-competitive game that went like four hours. It just, it ruins the product for the second game. And I'd rather it be two seven inning games where everything feels fast paced. It's less of a workload on the pitchers. Uh, You saw even in the Red Sox game with the White Sox this past weekend, Tanner Houck 
was nowhere near, you know, the hundred pitch mark comes out way earlier than people anticipated. And everyone's like, well, why are you doing that? Well, it's a seven inning game. You have to manage it differently. Um, you know, you kind of preserve some of those bullets. And I think that's an important thing in a 162 game season. Um, if you want pitchers to last and you don't want a doubleheader to completely ruin your pitching staff for a week uh, and kind of mess up the incoming games, especially when these doubleheaders come from, you know, cancellations, whether it's weather or COVID, this is how you keep things at least on the straight and narrow as much as you can. Do you think that it's something that we see for the rest of time? I know we talked about the runner on second base and I asked you, is this going to happen forever? Seven inning doubleheaders, it, it could be one of those things where, hey, why not? Because how many games have gotten rained out this year? I mean, it, seriously, it, every it's, day. It's a real problem. And we're not even talking about the games that have been played in the snow. Like the Red Sox yeah. and Twins had a game in the snow. The Tigers on opening day played in the snow. You know, you're, you're already pushing the envelope quite a bit. Um, and I haven't watched a seven inning game and got to the end and been like, oh, that team got hosed. It never feels that way. Both teams have a fair opportunity. It's just the game moves a lot quicker. Um, and when you're have at least a guaranteed 14 innings of baseball that day, that's how it should be. If you hope to keep the fans who watch the first game watching the second. Right. That's what I always thought about. If you buy a ticket, well, you get 14 innings, right? So you are getting more baseball technically. Now, here's where it gets a little weird for me. If, if it goes to the eighth inning and now there's a runner on second base, now it's like, what is going on here and where have we gone to get to this point? When now it's the eighth inning, there's a runner on second base. What is going on? It, it, this can get weird, right? Um, also, no hitters. They don't count. So I like that. Yeah, uh, I bet they can't count if it's seven innings agreed 100 percent. like listen it, it's great for a guy to go seven innings and you know you get the job done um but it's not it's not a traditional nine inning you know no hitter and i think as long as you're holding those standards that's what's important for the game you know you're not shortcutting anything here right it's still the same feats when you accomplish history it's recognized as history um so yeah i, I don't know i i think when you look at the eighth and the ninth inning right it, yes, it's a little weird. You know, people who turn the game on are going to be like, oh, you know, what, what the hell is going on? But in all reality, it's, yeah, it's a seven inning game. And now the eighth and ninth inning are extra innings. I don't know. I, I feel like connecting the dots isn't that hard in a situation like that. It's not hard at all. Not hard at all. We just kind of have to put ourselves in a perspective where we don't open up our minds and just watch the game, connect the dots, and everything will go through that. I was watching the Blue Jays Royals doubleheader on Saturday. Um, yeah, Matt's Steven Matt's, it looked like he was really dealing and the no hitter wouldn't have counted and it shouldn't. I don't want people to think that if you pitch a no hitter in a double header, then it's going to count. It shouldn't count. Not at all. Um, but Matt's was dealing. Steven Matt's looks real good. And I'm thinking about the Mets fans right now that are turning on on blue Jay games just to check out Steven Matt's. And they're seeing a guy who's looking like World Series run 2015, Stephen Max. That can't be a great feeling. No. And honestly, like one of my good friends from college, he's a huge diehard Mets fan. When I tell you he lives and dies by that team, it's all, it's everything for him. Um, and I'm just looking and it's Stephen Matt. It's Jed Lowry with the athletics and everything that happened over the last two years with him. How many times, you know, let's go to Zach Wheeler with the Phillies. You know, it, it's sad how much you can go down the list here and see the guys that, you know, showed promise and kind of just 
either plateaued or completely fell off the face of the earth while with that franchise. Um, and it goes to show how poor that organization was run. And I think Steve Cohen is doing the proper things right now to get them back on track. But wow, it, if I'm a Mets fan, I'm, I'm just sitting there and I'm, I'm in disbelief. It's embarrassing. Well, you remember when they did go to the World Series, it was all about this is the best young pitching staff we've seen in a very long time. This is going to really hold down the Mets sport for a very long time. And it just never really at injuries, call it what it is. Mats was hit or miss injuries as well. Uh, Zach Wheeler, you know, so yeah, you've seen the Mets kind of go in a, in a direction here where we, we hope that it's going to be better days ahead. I think it will be. I, I think a big part of it, unfortunately, was the Brody Van Wagenen dysfunction, the Will Ponds, all that different stuff going on. When you're telling a player in Jed Lowry, who he's been around the game for a long time now, it's kind of crazy to say, but it's true. And he's gone, you know, Houston, Boston, uh, you know, Oakland, multiple stints in Houston and um, Oakland, you know, over the years. And you're telling him he can't have knee surgery. Uh, and it's obvious he needed it. And he's turned back into a productive player. What are you doing? What is the like? What is your franchise trying to do here? It's like they're they're trying to self destruct. That, that's what it seems like. And you sit there and start to look at, oh well, why is it? You know, why are the Mets a laughing stock? Here, these are your examples, and this is why people. It's going to take a lot for them to respect the franchise again. Yep, it will take a while, and uh, I really like their team now. Me too. Uh, and let's see what Lindor for the next ten years or so. Uh, kicking in soon. Let's see how that plays out. Um, shortstop market. We talked about that already. It's going to be real interesting. Let's go um, with the mounds here and the Atlantic League and some experimentation that we've seen already um, be implemented. And we'll see how the experiments go. But we know that different kind of rules, bases will be bigger, let's say, at first base. Um, and different things like that. But the mound, moving it back a bit, Atlantic League. What do you know about this? And uh, what should people know about this? So for people who don't know, uh, Jason Stark put out a great piece for The Athletic recently, um, kind of detailing not only this, but the double hook rule with the you know DH and how they're trying to figure out how to move forward with that. Um, but the Atlantic League, not in the first half of the season, but in the second half, uh, will be moving the mound back a foot. Um, so 61 uh, feet and six inches. That, that's what they'll be working from. Um, it's, it's a drastic change. The last time the mound was altered, I believe, was in 1893. And that's when it became what we know as today, 60 feet and uh, six inches. Um, and that's what everyone's grown up on. That's what these pitchers have learned to adjust to. It's over a century worth of baseball here, right? You know, everything we know in the modern era is from this. Um, but baseball's hope is by making this change that, Hitters get more reaction time. It lowers the strikeouts, um, helps the velocity they're seeing come down a little bit because obviously it's a little bit farther back. Um, and they hope to return. I believe the numbers they were kind of comparing them to was at least in terms of reaction time, the velocity they see, it resemble a lot of the averages from 2010, that kind of era of baseball with the hopes that get contact rates back to where it was back then to get the major league batting average back up to where it was then and kind of bring pitchers back a little bit and stop the dominance we've seen really over the last 10 years. You know what? I'm a believer that things shift naturally and we will find ourselves back in a place where contact is up. Um, if you watch Sunday night baseball, I think that Alex Rodriguez made some good points. It sounds like he's very optimistic that this will shift. 
And it has through generations. Things just naturally shift. So how did we get to this point where making drastic changes that we haven't seen since 1893 is the solution? Baseball's, I think, in a little bit of a state where they don't know what to do. They don't know how to fix this issue. And I think it kind of, if you look at it, the conversation we had last week with foreign substances, they don't know what's causing this breakdown for hitters, where the offense in the game, you know, it's home run or strikeout. And unfortunately, strikeouts are way up this year. Batting average is still going down this year. So these negative trends, you know, for the offensive side of the game, which for better or worse, I, you know, I love a pitching duel. You do too. Um, but offense is what brings fans in, right? You know, chicks dig the long ball, whatever saying you want to throw out there that's happened over the years. Um, offense is what drives people, whether you want to go back to the Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa home run records, right? Um, you know, the chase for it. That's what they hope, you know, it's never going to be at that level again, but they need to bring offense back to the point where, you know, you don't see pitchers dominating like they are to begin the season, whether it's Shane Bieber tying the all-time strikeout record through four starts with Nolan Ryan. You know, stuff like that, it just, you can't see the game growing if it's just pitchers continuing to get better and better and better. And with the science they're using, it feels like they're not even close to hitting their ceiling yet. So now this is possibly a way to rebuff that. And I don't know if it's going to do much. You know, Trevor Bauer has made great points where he was like, listen, you push the mound back, the ball is going to break even more on these guys. You know, the ball is just going to continue to slip and move in different ways. Um, That's one argument. But also you have the MLB's argument where it's like, well, they're going to have more reaction time. The velocity won't be as hard. Who knows? None of us know. We haven't seen it, you know, in a daily kind of season format. And I think this will be our chance to. I'm excited to see it. You need to try these things. And it's the Atlanta League. As long as the players aren't revolting and destroying the league, I'm all for it. Yeah, let's just see what happens. You know, it's just I think people go into a panic when different rules get experimented with because they just assume that one day it's going to reach major league baseball, no matter what the rule is, they just have that feeling about it. No worry, people 60 feet. That's how we know it. By the way, there used to not be a mound. I think before 1893, it was just a pitcher's box. So, you know, that year when that's what we know today with 60 feet, that's when pitchers were really on kind of an elevated uh, playing surface. Yeah, and and the other interesting side to it is a lot of pitchers in the past have claimed, you know, this is going to lead to more Tommy John, more injuries. The MLB has data and surveys they've ran with different distances between 60 feet and 6 inches to about 63, uh, which ends up lining you kind of right in between that second base area, um, you know, from where the mound is. Um, And there's been no reported injuries, you know, in the small samples and different stuff they've run. Um, It even dramatically changed the way the pitchers approach things. So I don't know. You know, the MLB has its data. You know, guys are going to question, you know, the pitchers of the game who are like, no, this isn't right. They're going to have their takes. We just have to see what it is. You know, let's see the data and go from there. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's all we can do. Um, Again, I'm always going to be in the boat that things will naturally change. I've heard Buck Martinez on the Blue Jays broadcast talk about how, in a way, the pitching that we see now and the preferred pitches reminds him a lot of what it was when he entered the league in 1969. It was high fastball, and it was, you know, just a nasty breaking ball, and that's what it was. And then as the eras went on, it became about how about a cutter, and how about instead of going – 
up and down, kind of expanding the zone horizontal. That's gone now. Buck says that it's gone back. And we're just going to find those natural shifts as game goes on. This game is like no other game in American sports. Um, I don't know. In football, they can make changes. In basketball, they can make changes. In baseball, I think things naturally happen. I agree. And, you know, you look at the launch angle, you know, sensation and the drive line sensation on the pitching side that have blown up in recent years. Like you see certain guys cling. And then some guys are like, listen, the launch angle thing didn't work for me. Alex Verdugo is a big proponent of that. You know, who we talked about at the beginning of the show where he's like, listen, I I don't think about baseball in any way like that. It doesn't work with my swing. It doesn't work with how I approach baseball or how I was taught to play. And he's all about, you know, contact feel, you know, getting in the cage and just, swinging and swinging and swinging until you feel your mechanics click and who knows you know what that spreads one way or another there's still those guys in the game that don't not everyone's a launch angle guy you know just like not every guy is a driveline guy and I think keeping that open-minded you know thought process about how to approach the game it's needed because once you put yourself in a box you're in a problem absolutely absolutely and by the way Alex Rodriguez he called launch angle nonsense on Sunday Night Baseball uh this week he kind of was pretty uh, pretty firm about that, too, when he was uh, using his terminology uh, when describing launch angle. I think it's uh, hard when you're a play. Whatever works for you in your career is going to be what makes sense to you, right? Yeah. Um, but I think the great thing for baseball is to keep or hopefully move in this direction where both sides are accepted. You know, whether it's the deep analytics or the more traditional side, you got to mesh them. That's how this game will move forward. So you have the new fans and the old fans existing together. Right. And then when the World Series happens, we do what we always do and cheer together and watch together and enjoy the pastime in full flight. And that's how it's got to be. That is really how it's got to be. Now, they're not enjoying baseball right now in the Bronx. Um, This is it is early. It's early. Okay, let's not get too crazy here. And Luke Voigt, I think, look, him not having him in the lineup, I think now they're starting to realize that this is a much bigger deal than we initially anticipated. We thought that we'll have Jay Bruce there, or maybe DJ LeMahieu will fill in. Bruce is now retired. LeMahieu's going to have to shift over to first base. That means Rubnan Odor, who hasn't looked too good, he's going to have to go a lot, a lot of reps now. Um, the Yankees. I got some thoughts on the Yankees. I got a couple players who need to completely change their approach at the plate. As far as I'm concerned, the pitching is just not good enough. I expect Kluber and Tyone to really get it together soon. I think they're that good. And I think that under the circumstances that they've been through, it's going to be a bit of a a rocky start. And I expected that. But I, I expect them by May to be a lot better. And I think that will help the Yankees. And I expect this team to be right at the top of the division still. I agree. I think anyone who's sitting here and uh, trust me, there's people and they're just as bad as the people after the first week of the season who said, you know, a team was dead. How many people said the athletic season was over already? You know, well, let's be real. And now they're arguably the hottest team in all of baseball Uh, with the Yankees. When you have that kind of talent, this team isn't going to sit at the bottom of the AL East all year. If if you're believing that you're fooling yourself. Um, The pitching, you know, has been, it hasn't been as that bad. It's still a top 10 in terms of ERA at the moment. It's just the lineup is not doing anything. And you can put that on a back of a Giancarlo Stanton, who's hitting 174 right now and doing absolutely nothing at the plate. Um, You know, that's a big part of it. And like you said, missing Luke Foyt, that's another really big loss for that team because he's kind of been that spark plug in the middle of their lineup, especially with guys like Aaron Judge and Stanton, who 
they're really hot and really cold kind of hitters. You know, you see Judge and Stanton, they go on these streaks where they blow baseball away for a two or three weeks stretch. And then you don't hear about them that much for a couple of weeks. You know, it's just the kind of hitters they are. And unfortunately that entire lineup has been known to be streaky. Uh, Gary Sanchez is, you know, he, Gary Sanchez, now he's dealing with, you know, injuries himself. Um, they're a little banged up overall. Zach Britton is still not back. You know, it's looking like late May for him. Um, I think the Yankees, they're going to take some bump, some bumps this first month, but they're a team as the season goes along. The talent will reach, you know, bring them back up to the surface. I just think there are some holes on this team. You know, they're not, they don't look like World Series contenders to me right now. Do I still think they probably finish as the best team in this division? Yes, but they got a long way to go. Long way to go, and there's a lot of time to go in the season. So, again, we don't want to tell anybody to panic. Labor Corps is short. I don't know if that's working. Um, you, you have concerns almost everywhere when it comes to the lineup, like you say. Clint Fraser, for example, who I was going to talk about a little later, you know, his approach at the plate right now, I don't know what's going on because he's facing guys who are pumping fastballs down the middle for the first two pitches, and he's down 0-2, and it's happening almost every time. Now he's not even in the lineup every day and this is a guy who we to be an all-star to be one of the Yankees most important players it's not happening Aaron Boone at this point and I don't blame him he'd go with Brett Gardner in left field because why not Gardner he's going to give me more better at bats yeah it's tough and you know when you look at Clint Frazier really people have been banging on the table for you know a few years now saying you know this was you know let Clint Frazier get up to the bigs you know you guys are holding him back just trade him if you're not going to let him go up to the big league level and do his thing and now he's up here he had a great year last year you know somehow you know gold glove consideration you know get it going that way and ridiculous you know in my opinion at that time but it was a great year for him. And unfortunately this year has been a complete 180. Um, but I think that whole Yankees team is there right now. And unfortunately they're all kind of falling together. Um, I, I'm looking I, at Aaron Boone and I, you know, I have some real concerns. Uh, it feels like it multiple times now over the last few years, he's struggled to get this team back on track. It's almost a two lackadaisical approach. And that's where my concern continues to lay because with the talent this roster has, they continue to feel like they have yet to hit their ceiling and, you know, it doesn't make much sense, especially when people tout Aaron Boone is one of the better managers in baseball. Yeah, I, I don't know, first of all, where this came from with Aaron Boone being one of the best managers in baseball. I mean, look, look, the guy's been around for 10 minutes as far as I'm concerned. Yes, he's been in the playoffs um, and he's had appearances. But like you say, he's got to get this team together and you can't find yourself in a place when it's too little too late. Not in this division, because the Red Sox with Alex Cora now, you want to talk about a good manager. I think Alex Cora is a good manager, and he's going to get this Red Sox team in a competitive place right away, which he has. Don't tell me you're not worried about the Rays, because the Rays, they don't have any problems. It seems like they're going to be good. Toronto's going to get healthy and, and go in in a big way soon, I think. And then Baltimore's going to play spoiler, and I've come to that conclusion they they're not going to make the playoffs but they're going to play spoiler yeah the, you know listen john means will come out and annoy people every five right. days and you know give you a headache it's just yeah i don't i don't know what it is about aaron boone but he just continues to leave something to be desired um and i sit there and i'm like you know who would i feel like push this roster joe Girardi. 
Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, and I continue to look back. It feels like they need a, a voice, a little bit more of a, not an everything's going to be all right, but more of that firm, like, we're going to figure it out. This is what we need to do. You know, if you're not, if you're not responding, then we're going to address that accordingly. Um, and Aaron Boone just gives long leashes to some guys, sometimes way too long, you know, and it's just, I don't know. This season has really started off on a weird note for them. And people have gotten down on Aaron Boone a few times over the last few years. I don't want to act like he's a bad manager. I just, I think he's very average. And when you're chasing a world series and you know, you're trying to push a roster to the next level, average managers aren't going to do much for you. No, you need real good managers. I mean, look, Alex Cora, who kind of really came into his own in a big way. That was a guy who, yeah, didn't have much experience, but look what happened. Look what happened with the Red Sox, right? I mean, that's a really good manager, and he proved that he was early on in his tenure. Yeah, listen, Aaron Boone has had some boneheaded decisions in the playoffs and, and in big games. Alex Cora, you know, this isn't hyperbole. He willed that Red Sox team to the 2018 World Series on the pitching side. They did not have the bullpen arms to make it through. And instead, you know what he did? Every starting pitcher on their bullpen day, you come out and throw a couple innings. Uh, and they, they found a way, whether it was David Price, Nate Evaldi, uh, these guys who just excelled, Chris Sale closing out the World Series, you know, just making it happen with whatever you have. And Aaron Boone just, not only has he lacked that creativity, he just, there's no fire. There's no fire underneath this Yankees team. And I don't get it. You know, you look at Aaron Judge and people are like, you know, this guy's one of the better players in baseball. Where the, the where's the leadership? Where's you know what I mean? Where's that push? You're the New York Yankees. You have one of the most talented rosters in all of baseball, and you're getting demolished. Not because you're not good, like you have the talent, but on little things, poor defense, you know, stuff like that. It's just these are errors. These are just unfocused baseball. Unfocused, not you know, not being locked in on a day to day basis. And that, when I look at a problem like that, I put that on the manager. That's always where my blame is going to lie. Fundamentals aren't good enough. And when you're a team that's projected to be in first place, you need to be fundamentally sound and then everything follows. That's just the basis of baseball. That's how things work. Glaber Torres at short. Look, I don't know. I don't know what you do with Glaber Torres. Maybe you put him at second, back to where he's more comfortable. You know what's a great way to look at the Glaber Torres situation? He's a guy with enough talent. He has the ability, right? We all know it. It's focus. Can he stay focused on the position, not make the routine errors? Rafael Devers, a guy, similar issues, plays third base. It's not shortstop, but we know he has all the talent in the world on the offensive side. But there's a lack of focus there where he continues to make bad errors. We saw it last year. It really went off the rails with Ron Renicki there. Um, Alice Cora had made him make big strides in 2019. Now this year, after a slow start, Devers is back to looking great at third base again. Uh, he's looking like the Rafael Devers we saw at the end of 2019. Glaber Torres, what is Aaron Boone doing for Glaber Torres? Mm-hmm. Nothing. You know, there, there's no dramatic change. There's no sense of improvement. Alex Cora raises the level of his players. Aaron Boone, he's just treading water. You think he's on the hot seat? Not yet, but I'm telling you, and it's weird with the Yankees franchise and how they view managers. I, I think that's a big part of it. We saw Brian Cashman come out and talk about it yesterday. But if this Yankees team is underperforming, they're sitting like third place by the middle of the summer. I think conversations will start. I think he finishes the year, but if they have a down year, they're going to have some real conversations. 
there's definitely a lot of loyalty when it comes to Yankees and their managers. You see long tenured managers, guys just don't come in for two seconds and they get out of town. It just doesn't happen in the Bronx. Uh, before we wrap up, there's a couple things here. Acuna, how good is Ronald Acuna Jr., by the way, who's looking like, I mean, he might be the favorite for the MVP already. Yeah, you know, let's hope this abdominal strain, he's day-to-day right now, right? But uh, he got named NL Player of the Week. Uh, he hit like 385 with a over 500 OBP, three home runs, a stolen base. Um, it was a great week for him. And I'm telling you, I don't know if I've ever seen a more electric player in baseball. Uh, a lot of us have looked at Mookie Betts as the best all-around player. I think Ronald Acuna might be taking that away from him right now. Um, yep. And, you know, no slight to Mookie Betts, but, you know, we're looking at Acuna and 40-40 seems real. You know, some people are talking 50-40 and it's like, holy hell, like that's not, that shouldn't even be possible, you know? And he's doing this at such a young age. And listen, when you have an abdominal strain like this, I'm already kind of getting nervous, especially for someone who's as athletic and, you know, he's running out grounders to shortstop and trying to beat them out, which is a side of Ronald Acuna. I didn't think we were ever going to see. We all know the Ronald Acuna who was hitting balls off the wall and not jogging out of the you know box the last couple of years. But if he can get right and, you know, stay healthy, I think we're in tune for one of the greatest single seasons ever. And he, he continues to blow my expectations on a daily basis. He's going out of the box sprinting any time. It's almost like, you know, when you're a young ball player, like little league or something, they teach you right when you make contact, just sprint, right? Even if it's a foul ball, you go, you go. And you know, he's locked in and he's really focused on this year when uh, he's doing that and speed kills. And that's why to me, he has to be the most viable player in all of baseball. Forget ALNL right now. I'm talking all of baseball uh, when it comes to an MVP speed kills like that. And he's taking it to another level. He's not just stealing bases. He's making everyone on defense uncomfortable. You saw he had that. It was over a hundred mile per hour grounded a shortstop. He beats it and he beat it by a bit. It wasn't like, you know, bang, bang. He had about a step and it's like, it's just incredible to see this package of tools. It's almost scary, you know, to you're just looking. It's like, wow, this is what a true freak in nature. This is what a LeBron James looks like, you know, baseball's version of LeBron James. And that's just how I see it. I think, you know, you look at the contract he has and how team friendly it is. We're about to see something really special over the coming years. And I can't wait. And I think he's going to be right there. He might, he might surpass Fernando Tatis Jr. as the face of baseball. I think there's more talent and upside there. And especially when you look at what Tatis is going through right now. Uh, you know, I'm very concerned that he's already back and playing following his shoulder injury. I think Acuna is going to become that next face this year. Yeah, well, it was a good conversation that I think a lot of people were having before the season started. Faces of baseball. Is it still Mike Trout? Is it Fernando Tatis? Can we even include Bryce Harper kind of in the conversation, even though we know that he really isn't? It's a unique con- I think there's people get the conversation confused. There's a difference between best player and face, right? Fernando Tatis right now is the face of baseball. Mike Trout is the best player in the game. You know, uh, and we see Mike Trout's back to being the Mike Trout of years past right now, you know, early in the season. But, you know, that's what we've seen. I think Bryce Harper is in that conversation when you ask guys like, oh, you know, people who don't follow the sport. Who do you think of when you say, you know, Major League Baseball? He's usually one of the first names you hear. Um, But if we're talking best players in the game, it's a very small list. It's your Mike Trout. 
uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., Mookie Betts, uh, Christian Yellick when he's going right. You know what I mean? That conversation. And I look at Acuna and I'm like, Yellick looks to be, you know, he's hitting well, but now he's down with a back injury, right? Mike Trout, you know, he's, he's 29. How many more years of this will we see? We've already seen the stolen base numbers in the defense fade a little bit. Um, and Mookie Betts, listen, Mookie Betts is right in his prime right now, but who knows how he's going to age. Acuna is just so young and he's already playing at their level. And I think that when you say Fernando Tatis Jr. is the face of baseball, I think Acuna takes issue with that. And he says, no, I want to be the face of baseball. He's kind of playing like that right now. I think we, just like we look at this year and, you know, Tatis is the cover of MLB The Show. I think a year from now, Ronald Acuna Jr. is the cover of MLB The Show. I was thinking that. I was actually thinking that the other day. I'm going, hold on for a second. I can already see into the future of 22 The Show. I don't think Acuna is going to be on the cover and it's going to be almost like a similar cover, but it's going to be Ronald Acuna, maybe a bat flip, maybe something. I don't know. But yeah, I can already see that. Like, it almost feels like that's the next logical step for uh, SDS to take there. <laughs> Seriously. No, but I 100% agree with you. And it, it's exciting. Um, and it sucks, you know, it kind of sucks to see what's happened with Tatis this year, especially with the game just coming out and everything right now. But we'll see. Like I said, you know, I'm nervous about what's going to happen. Tatis has changed his hitting mechanics now. Uh, he's using a two handed finish instead of a one handed to avoid the shoulder problems. But. We'll see. I, I don't like when a player that young is obviously not comfortable at the plate. You're adjusting things. That's how you screw up, you know, an easy track to start them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a very vulnerable game sometimes. And when you start messing a fit early and you're not comfortable, then you should be concerned. Speaking of the Padres, them and the Dodgers, this might be a, uh, just an unbelievable season series. And we're going to get it next weekend as well. So the next time that we do an episode of The Squeeze, either it will be in process or it will be concluded and we'll have a real good idea of where this is going because three games in and I'm convinced I'm watching every game. This is the best baseball I've watched, you know, in the regular season. Uh, I you know, since the main days of the Red Sox and the Yankees. I don't know how else to compare it. When has a game in April, you know, an entire series, we're not talking one game where things got wild. Every single game felt like a playoff game where not only did the Dodgers purposely line up their rotation, you know, pushing guys around a little bit back and forth so their best guys could pitch. Wow. Like just to see Padres Dodgers going back and forth and, you know, not only on the field, but, you know, starting to beef a little bit like we saw in the playoffs, whether it was Clayton Kershaw and jerks and profile, uh, what we saw in extra innings in the first game. Um, it, it's just, I love it. I, I can't say how thankful I am that a rivalry like this is back in the sport. Cause this is the kind of stuff that makes people pay attention. That makes people who don't care about West coast baseball stay up for these games. East Coast over here, I'll tell you right now, 3 a.m. Friday night. Uh, Friday night to me was just an outright regular season classic. Seriously, instantly. I knew it when I was watching it. The extra innings was crazy. Uh, what was going on with Cronenworth pitching and then um, striking out bats, but then Price hits a sack fly. and to Musgrove Joe Musgrove. <laughs> to Joe Musgrove. And yeah, I don't know what was going on. Whatever was going on, it was the perfect ending to a game like that. That that really was one of those games. You knew it from the first pitch. The atmosphere, it felt good. Peco Park, props to you. A uh, great atmosphere. 
And now we're going to get it at Dodger Stadium, and we'll be on Sunday Night Baseball next yeah. week. And, you know, you don't even mention Manny Machado running the bases with his little yeah. injury he had and, you know, stealing the bag and then moving up and getting to score. It's just it was so many little things that fundamental baseball, you know, like it, it felt like for a minute we almost were in a time machine. And, and that's why I think I loved it so much. It was just that classic feel of how high energy baseball used to be. Um, and you go, you know, we're not even talking about game two. Mookie Betts, the game saving catch. In center field, not even his natural position. Um, and then you got game three where you have the, uh, the Padres coming back late on a Tommy Pham hit. Um, the guy who got robbed the night before. It's just, I'm so excited to see how this continues to play. And like you said, we have the series coming up. Uh, again, we're going to see it plenty of times throughout the year. Hopefully, Mookie Betts is healthy for this series. You know, uh, we saw he went down with the contusion yesterday. And it's a little, looks like some people are kind of nervous about it. Um, but fingers crossed. I want full health across the boards. I want to see these teams go at it. Starting Friday, I want full health as well. It has to happen. We need to make sure it happens. Fernando Tatis as well. Let's get comfortable in that box and, le- and let's start raking uh, in time for Friday. Two names. Let's give uh, go back and forth here. Two names that you believe uh, is not living up to how they should. All right. We're going to call out some guys here. Two guys. Who you got first? All right, I'll lead off. I'll give you Andrew Benintendi. Uh, listen, a lot of people were sitting there and hoping, I know, everyone, oh, Tyler, you know, hating on Andrew Benintendi, Mr. Franchi Cordero fanboy. Um, listen, Benintendi has been terrible. He's already been dropped in the lineup down to seventh. Sounds familiar, Red Sox fans, doesn't it? How many times did they try to put him at the top of the lineup here and he just fell flat on his face? Uh, he hasn't been great defensively either. He's just been very below average in left field. Um, barely hitting above 200, extremely slow start to the year. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is why I said the Red Sox sold high when they dealt him because those people clinging to 2018 Andrew Benintendi, it's a pipe dream. He's lost. He's lost his approach at the plate. Well, uh, Benintendi, absolutely. And the Royals lineup, and credit to them how Benintendi doesn't have to be the focal point at all. Um, You know, Whit Merrifield, I love. I love Whit Merrifield. Um, I'd take that guy on my team any day of the week. I don't care. Now, let me give you a name here. And this guy actually has started hitting a little bit. But if you went back about five or six days, we would say he didn't have a hit. And that's Michael Conforto. The Mets need Conforto to be really good this year. And you can't have stretches like that too often. Let's hope for the Mets' sake that what just happened, he got off the Schneid in Colorado. But what just happened is a one-off. Maybe we won't see a slump like that until late June, early July, something like that. Let's hope that it doesn't come back in May. Uh, Conforto, he's a guy that's got to be good for the Mets. Yeah, it's a tough spot for Conforto, especially with the contract situation and, you know, trying to figure that side of things out. I don't know if that's in his head. And he had the awkward start to the season with the hit by pitch and all that different stuff. And unfortunately, the Mets lineup, it's been kind of disappointing. We've seen them let down Jacob deGrom multiple times um, and really make life hard on him. It's just, I don't know. I'm kind of looking at it. He's one of those guys. He usually gets better as the season goes on. He's a big OBP guy. Um, I'm, I'm not too worried about him overall. Uh, but if the Mets lineup wants to be, you know, to compete with that NL East and some of those lineups, he needs to be part of it because that lineup's not going to go without him. Right. Well, this was kind of a different year 
in Queens because it was always, and we talked about it, the pitching, the pitching, the pitching. In 2021, it was like, no, actually, you know what? The lineup might be the strong point of this team, and it's going to be a real good lineup. You talk about what's going on, a few blocks in the Bronx. Hey, their lineup's good. I think our lineup's just as good. That's what they were saying in Queens, and uh, the lineup just hasn't really lived up. We can kind of call the Mets lineup as a whole underwhelming so far. Uh, Second name, who do you got? I'm going to go G and Carlos Stan. I'm not going to lie. was my second pick here. Um, so I guess I'll harp on it a little bit more. Um, but listen, you know, people sat here and you're paying all this money to G and Carlos Stan year in and year out. Um, you didn't give up a ton, but it's the contract that's weighing you down. Right. Um, and for him, he was supposed to rise to be this leader and not only on top of missing time. Uh, and, you know, people got excited about the postseason last year when he was really swinging the bat and coming alive. It's so disappointing to me to see what his career has become, what he's, you know, he's a guy, he's not even serviceable in the field anymore, you know, and it's not like this is a guy who's 36, 37, uh, you know, that contract's nowhere near done either. Uh, and unfortunately he's a regulated DH who's extremely up and down. Um, I, I, if I'm a Yankees fan and this is why I told Red Sox fans to stay away from him for years, he's just, whatever you hope is the peak, you may spark it in a bottle once or twice over the coming years. Um, but he is the definition of a bust in just about every way. When you look at his contract, I think he is. And you look at how he's being used, I think he is. And then when you look at him at the plate right now, I think he is. It's a triple, just bad, bad, bad scenario for Stanton and the Yankees there. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, look, um, when you have a full-time DH, and there hasn't been that many great full-time DHs in the history of baseball. But you're paying a full-time DH that kind of money. How can that be a good idea? Really? How can it, that be a good idea? It can't be. And unfortunately, if there was a guy you would have said that was meant to be, you know, that DH who was going to continue to rake and rake and, you know, put up numbers. The whole point of putting Gene Carlos Stan at DH was, oh, now he doesn't have to worry about anything except mashing, base, mashing baseballs. It just hasn't clicked. And it's still, it's like, how many years are we going to go through this now? You know, unfortunately you just look at it. It's like, this is what G and Carlos Stanton is. And I think Yankee fans are finally starting to see it. Um, And I think that's part of the outrage they see going on right now. It's you built up so much to get this roster where it is. And unfortunately it looks like money wasn't invested in the right areas. All right. I was going to say Clint Fraser, but we already kind of talked about him. And uh, I'm not because they're going to kill us in the Bronx. If we keep talking about yeah. <laughs> Uh I'm going to go Kevin Vigio, who, um, you know what? At the plate, we always knew that the average wasn't there right now. You know, I mean, even in his rookie year or when he first came up in 2019, his on base was way higher than his average, like abnormally higher. That told you that he was drawing a lot of walks. He's not necessarily hitting singles. He's not slugging high. He's not hitting doubles. But there was always this hope that he's going to be the the prototypical top of the lineup hitter, perfect number two hole guy. It's just not working right now. And he's getting blown away at the velocity. And that's the big point with Vigio. And then in the field, um, I got a point to him at third base. It's difficult to move around the diamond. This would be my one argument against people who say versatility, versatility. I say you can't just use it and get drunk off power of versatility and think that everyone can move around the diamond. And just because it's Craig Biggio's son doesn't mean that he can just move around the diamond like Craig did. Okay, so let's not act like that. I don't feel too confident with him at third base. 
you know, especially with a guy that young, you need, I don't care who it is, young prospects, you know, obviously Biggio's had some time up here now, but for, if you want guys to grow, they need some form of consistency. Yep. And I think that's part of the reason, you know, if you look at a Vlad Guerrero Jr., listen, you're a first baseman now, right? Don't overthink it. Get used to being over there. That up and down, you know, is he going to get shifted year in, year out? That's so draining on a guy. You know, Biggio, unfortunately, he's already been touted as like basically a utility, a super utility guy. You know, that Ben Zobris guy. And that's such a, like, do you realize how few Ben Zobris and like across baseball there have been over the years? Um, And putting that on him at this age, you know, in this point where he really hasn't solidified himself at the big league level, it's a really tough asking price. Uh, And I'm not surprised he's kind of hit a wall. He should be a second baseman. That's what it should have been. End of story. Because now, oh, uh, we need a pinch runner. Oh, Biggio's kind of injured, but he can do it. Oh, put him in left field now. Oh, third base. Well, that hit, that's his position here. Semyon's a free agent after this year, so we could very well see Biggio go back to second. But I don't know. It might be too little too late. I mean, we, you need that consistency from the outright. And that's what you could have had with Biggio. Agreed. And, uh, you know, I still think it's a very advanced approach. You know, it's no disrespect to him. Um, I, and I still like his ceiling. You know, I don't think it's as high as, you know, a Bull Bichette or a Vlad Guerrero Jr. But the floor is really solid. Um, yeah. I think it's one of those things with the Blue Jays. It's just stop overcomplicating things. They've done it to Bull Bichette at times. They've done it to Vlad Guerrero Jr. at times. Chill. Let these guys find themselves at the big league level. Let them get accustomed to playing one position. You don't have to jerk them back and forth or, you know, threaten to take away playing time or, you know, it it just, it doesn't work in that sense. And unfortunately for the Blue Jays, I really like how they handle most things, but I feel like when it's come to that, you know, that three trio young core, it's been a little up and down at times. So Lourdes Gurriel Jr. When he first came up, he was a second baseman and they moved him because it just wasn't working defensively. And okay, fine. If you don't think he can play that position, move him. Let's go. You know what? Let's get the show on the road kind of thing. And now you can see he's got a real strong arm in the outfield. Um, And, you know, there's obviously some issues with young outfielders with, uh, you know, the routes you take and whatnot, but pretty good outfielder. I'd take Lourdes Lourdes Gurriel Jr. um, any day of the week, right? And they've let him grow into that role. You know what I mean? It's not overcomplicating it. And listen, I think when you look at a guy like Kevin Biggio, people go, well, look at his dad. He has the bloodline. He, you know, this guy has the instincts and the maturity. Just because he's mature doesn't mean you can jerk him around. Let him get his game together. Let him develop at the plate. Let him develop defensively. Then start thinking about turning him into a super utility guy. Because I don't know any other prospect that's come up besides really Jake Cronenworth and been able to do that. And Jake Cronenworth, he's a unicorn. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't think this is fair on Kevin at all. And we're not taking shots at Kevin Biggio. We're kind of telling our perspective of how the Blue Jays are handling the situation. And I don't think it's too pretty. Now he's injured. Uh, he's day to day. He should be back soon. He might be back tomorrow at Fenway. We'll see. So when we're watching that, um, we'll get a good look at Kevin Biggio, but he is struggling at the plate. He's batting, I think just a little over 160 as we talk right now, a couple home runs um, and moving down in the lineup. That's becoming more of a thing. He's not the top of the lineup two old guy that we thought he would be right now. No, not right now. And, you know, funny enough, you know, speaking of guys who are hitting 160, I know I gave Giancarlo Stan earlier. I'll give you Aussie Elbies right now. Um, you know, the guy who's supposed to be the partner to Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, 
Elbies hasn't looked like himself in actually quite some time now. You know, some of it's been because of injuries. Um, but unfortunately, you know, he's still on a great contract, but it doesn't, he still hasn't hit his stride like we saw when that initial push through came a few years back. Um, and not that I think the Braves are panicking or anything like that. Um, but I don't know. It, it seems like the Aussie LB hype train is kind of slowed uh, over the past year and a half ish. Um, and I'm hoping because, you know, when he was going and really first came up, he was looking like he was going to be the future of second base in baseball. Yep. There you go. That hype train is kind of dying down. Austin Riley as well. That hype train is also kind of dying down. Uh, He's not hitting either. The Cubs need Jock Peterson to get going. There's a lot of guys here. um, Pray for Javier Baez. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. He's lost so much money. It's, it's terrible. Like I, I really, there's not many guys I feel bad for and, his, you look at the advanced, you know, analytics, he's not touching the baseball. He's just swinging and missing and chasing. And I don't have much hope for him bouncing back to the player he used to be. Yeah. Javi's got, he's got a simplified approach. See ball, hit ball. I know it sounds really basic, but that's almost what you got to do at this point. It's uh it's tough times, especially when you see Kyle Schwarber hitting a walk-off home run in Washington. Electric. Electric. And then you make that swap, bring in Jock Peterson, not working. Jock's having better at bats. He's getting on base a little more. So maybe there's that spark of optimism that the Cubs need. That is the squeeze. The third installment. You can find us on YouTube. I said it last week. If you want to see our beautiful faces, not so beautiful faces, uh, you can watch on YouTube. Audio version, podcast version, rate, subscribe. Listen, all the top platforms and wherever you get your podcast. The squeeze is there on primetime sports talk tyler final words uh listen if you do watch the video version i no longer have a beard i apologize it it is not the prettiest sight but it will be back in the coming weeks i hope uh so yeah there's your warning there you go now if the red sox win 100 games the beard should not come back for two years how about that i think that's fair you know we've actually started talking about possibly shaving my head if if they get to the world series so i know we can't go that far with it we can't go that far are of shaven heads now i mean come on if they win the world series you got to shave your head how about that i think that's a fair proposal because it's going to be a really rough time if uh you guys do not want to see me with no hair <laughs> but it won't be a rough time if the red sox win the world series right hey we'll have a good time with the world series parade hopefully have a good time with the world Series. you can wear a hat Just wear a red sox hat there you go exactly best of both worlds that's the squeeze we'll see you next time